We are reading from uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Scott. Good evening. Nice to see everybody this evening. I wonder, if I was to say to you, are there any questions in your mind right at this moment what the answer would be? Because... In my mind, over these last couple of years, there's been a lot of questions, a lot of questions about a lot of things. At the moment, we might be thinking about, you know, what is going on in the Ukraine? What is the Ukraine all about? What was lockdown all about? We've actually got a God who we claim is so great, but we can ask him the difficult questions. I don't know about you, as you know, it, with my family, we had a, a tough lockdown. And um, I was just thinking, if we now knew that something was about to happen to us, my people living in Ukraine don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Us, through the pandemic, as some of us identify with very closely, didn't know what was going to happen the following day. If we didn't know, or if we did know, that tomorrow we weren't going to be here, what would we do and what would we say to other people? Now, that sounds a bit heavy, just to lighten it up a bit. 
I ask this question, as you know, we, quite often if I speak, we have a chat with our young adults, young people, and ask the question to them, and they come out with some good answers. These next answers as to what would you do if you knew that actually you were not going to be here tomorrow, these were answers to that question. Somebody, this was across age ranges, okay, so it's not just our young people. What would you do? I'd eat as much junk food as possible because I would be okay, okay? I would quickly, this is, this is a bit of an odd answer if it was tomorrow, but I would quickly go on the most expensive holiday possible and spend lots of money because I couldn't take it with me. What would you do? Well, I'd see all my friends and family. I'd make up with people with whom I had issues going on. I'd ask for forgiveness. I'd go home and meet up with the people that I love most. Interesting that, isn't it? Because we need to be living lives that if something happens to us tomorrow, actually we're okay. And if we have issues like forgiveness, if we have issues, we need to sort them out. What would you say? These were the answers I got. I'd tell my mum and dad that I actually really love them. Yeah. I'd tell my wife and children that I love them. I'd tell my friends and family just how much they actually do mean to me, even when I mess up quite a lot in my relationships with them. Again, I'd go to somebody and I would ask for forgiveness. Somebody else said I would pray and pray a lot so they'd be saying the prayers. Interesting, isn't it? Because if we know that actually we have very little time left, it focuses our minds in a, in a tremendous way, doesn't it? I have um, a letter here. One or two of you, um, especially a couple of our young people, have seen this before. And this letter is, has written on it, Mrs. Walsh. It's obviously had a Christmas card in it. And it belonged to an old lady. And it was an old lady that I used to visit when I was about 16, 17, 18 years old. And she was, um, she was 89 when she died. Um, but so I visited her for the last three years of her life. And she was a precious, precious lady. And just before she died, she decided to write me a note. Um, and on this note, part of it says this. My dear Rebecca, it says lots of other things, but I'll just read you this bit. It said, I hope that, or it says, I'm going to my heavenly father. I'll be waiting for you and all my friends. I hope that you will come in shining and happy in the Lord. Her last words to me, I did see her actually, and she waved at me across the hospital ward. I wasn't allowed to go in to see her. Those were her last words, and they have resonated and stuck in my heart for so many years. There's an old woman, severely crippled with arthritis. She'd been married twice before. Both the husbands had died. She'd longed for children, never had any children, and in a sense had everything to grumble about, but she didn't. She just radiated Jesus, and the words that she wrote to me at the end are so precious. Now, for some of us, we've had situations where people have died, and you remember your final time with them, remember their final words to you. And so the passage that Scott has just read to us, it's just a tremendous passage because you've got Jesus 
at the Last Supper in the upper room. What amazing words. The evening meal was in progress. And Jesus there, knowing that within 24 hours, he's actually going to have died. In the next few hours, he's going to have been arrested. And so what Jesus does then, and what Jesus says then, is just so important. Jesus, as the Son of God, he's not going to get this wrong, is he? The message that he's going to give us in that moment is so, so important. And so if we just click on to the next slide, we've got these words there. What happens? It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God, that he had come from the Father. Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't pretending with things. Jesus, there at the creation of the world. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, he knew, he knew who he was, but he got up, made a decision, took action, and he got up, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around him, pours some water, and then gets down on his knees on the dirty floor with people's smelly feet and makes the decision, I'm going to do this. Didn't need to. Wasn't forced on him. When we think about that, you know, people's feet, some people here probably, I know some people here have a bit of a thing about feet. Oh, yuck. I'm not that keen on people's feet. But dirty feet, smelly feet, sort of feet that we don't want to go near. Not showered, beautiful feet, not like a massage parlor. And yet here, the Son of God, fully, fully God, thinks that one of the most important lessons to teach his disciples at the end of his life is to get down on his knees in the dust and wash their feet. I find that really moving. I find it moving because so many of us, don't we, fight in a way for power, fight for importance. But Jesus, those words, he knew who he was. But he got on his knees. You know, sometimes we come, become so familiar, don't we, with Bible passages. And, and then when you, when you read through them again, sometimes something just strikes you. And as I read through these passage, this passage, the thing that got me this time was the question, whose feet did Jesus wash? Sounds like such a silly question. But when I looked, he actually washes all the disciples' feet. You know, if he washes the feet of Peter. Well, we get that, don't we? Because Peter was like the leader. Jesus has said, you will be the rock on whom I will build my church. Peter is a powerful person. He's going to be a leader. 
We get that, don't we? We invest in leaders. He washes then the, clo- the feet of his closest friend, John. John, who's described in the, in the book of John as the disciple who Jesus loved. Well, we kind of get that, don't we? Because actually our friends, yeah, okay, maybe we could wash, wash their feet. Leaders, friends, we love those. But then Jesus washes, yeah, Matthew, Philip, Thomas, yeah, okay. They all walked with him for three years. They all cared for him for three years. This is what got me. Then Jesus is on his knees in the dirt, washing Judas's feet. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets me. Because I think probably all of us find it quite easy to serve people that are maybe deserving or who we actually get on with. But Jesus, on his knees, washing the feet of the person that just further on in the passage, he said he, he, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Judas had already got some money, that very soon they were going to walk into the Garden of Gethsemane and very soon Judas was going to kiss him on the cheek like a friend and Jesus was going to be arrested and, and onto the cross. But Jesus kneels there and washes his feet. It's a challenge, isn't it? And then Jesus gets up kind of imagine it you know he finishes the washing he he puts on his puts the towel down puts on his outer garments and he walks back to his place I wonder what the disciples were thinking Jesus was going to say and he says this now you know these things you will be blessed if you do them I have set you an example and you should do as I have done for you. wonder what was going through their minds then. I'm meant to wash people's feet. What does it really mean? I wonder if their minds flick back to a, a, probably a week or so before when Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem and James and John's mother came and said to them, said to Jesus, look, can James and John sit with you in heaven, in a special place in heaven? Basically a mother saying, please can my children be the most important in heaven? And Jesus says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Otherwise, you know that people want to be important. You know people have power, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave or be your servant. Wow. I wonder if that was in the minds as they saw Jesus kneeling down there. Jesus, the first and the last but Jesus kneeling as a servant. Jesus, the greatest, God, God, God himself, kneeling in the dust. It's challenging, isn't it? Challenging to us. You know, kind of really hits, doesn't it, in the teeth, some of the teaching that we get now. We so, so want, so often, to be important. I talk to our children, talk to our young people, and a lot of them would love to be rich and famous. 
But Jesus says, be a servant. Not in any way saying that it's wrong for people to be in great jobs. I pray that we would have people, Christians, followers of Jesus in positions that are powerful. We want that. We need them. We need people in parliament. We need people in all sorts of positions that are Christians who are doing well, who are actually great at their jobs. It's not about that. It's fine if we get promoted. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to be famous. It's not wrong to be in powerful places. But whatever position we're in, whoever we are, the start of our Christian life is before the cross, but the power of our Christian life is on our knees as servants. Eleanor's just going to come in and just read another passage for us. Thanks, Eleanor. So the second passage is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. Imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Thanks, Helena. Wow. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Uh, another version says, your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Again, the Bible's so clear. Jesus there at the start of all things. Jesus, the creator of the world. Jesus on his knees. You know, he could have fought for his rights, couldn't he? He could have argued his corner. He could have argued it. Sometimes he did. But Jesus, willing to humble himself... When I was reading through this, I was think, looking at this, I was thinking, okay, our relationships with one another should have the same mindset as Jesus. Our attitude should be like that of Jesus. But what was Jesus' attitude like? We've seen him on his knees as a servant. It just got me thinking. I began to read through some of the, well, I read through the Gospels again. What is an attitude like Jesus? You know, I'd really challenge you to do this. So familiar with the Bible stories, so familiar with the stories of Jesus, but look at them in a slightly different slant. I began to read through them, just looking for what was Jesus' attitude in this situation. 
it's absolutely, I find it quite life-changing. I find it really, really challenging this. So I'm just going to whiz down some of them. So people with leprosy, people who were kept away at arm's length. What is Jesus' attitude? Well, he moved towards them and he touched them. What does that say to us about our attitude? What about Peter's elderly mother-in-law? He healed her. Nobody was too old for Jesus to care about. What about the children? What about the children that people tried to send away? What was his attitude? He loved them. Come to me. He loved them. What about his attitude to Zacchaeus? These are such familiar stories. But what was his attitude in it? Befriending. Taking hold of that man. Befriending him. Being willing to go to somebody's house that nobody else liked. But with an attitude that said, come on. You've messed up. But he was given Zacchaeus the respect Actually, Jesus visiting his home. What are the Samaritan woman at the well? All these husbands. He didn't condemn her. He was there when the woman brought all these people from the town back to Jesus. He hadn't run her off and, and embarrassed her in any way. What about Bartimaeus when Jesus again on the road to Jerusalem? Bartimaeus there shouting, Jesus, Jesus, and everybody else is saying, shut up. And actually his attitude, Jesus' attitude is, no, bring him to me. Value in a person. Wow. What about the woman being stoned? People there around are ready to be stoned for committing adultery. And he says, I do not condemn you. But go and leave your life of sin. Not condoning what you've been doing, but immense love. What about the woman who was there pouring perfume over his feet? Again, in front of everybody, not condemnation, forgiveness. What about, I love this story, the woman who touched the robe of Jesus. She touches his robe and she's healed. I mean, Jesus healed a lot of people. But on this occasion... He didn't just let her go off and, and be healed. What he actually does is turns round and she falls at his feet. And what does he do? He reaches out his hand and he calls her daughter. Wow. Not like a healed woman who can just go off who was unclean, but now go off, you healed, you better. But daughter, the extra mile to give respect. It's beautiful, isn't it? What about the, the widow's gift, the widow there? All these rich people putting money in the collection box and the widow with these two coins puts in the money. And Jesus is not like dismissive of this poor woman. Instead, he sees what is in her heart and he's like, wow, she has given all she had. There's loads of stories. Jesus is teaching, reading through these Gospels again. Incredible. Again and again and again, you see this attitude of Jesus. It is not weakness. Jesus wasn't weak. 
what Jesus, God himself, in human form, but choosing to serve, choosing to give people this respect, this acknowledgement, but choosing to have that attitude. And then he says to us, follow him. Do the same things that you see me do. Wow, it's a challenge, isn't it? What about us? What about us? In the passage that Eleanor just um, read out, again, the, the verse that says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Again, it's not a woolly word. It's a mindset. It's not a feeling, oh, you know, in your relationships with one another, have this great feeling of love for one another, have this feeling of serving each other. It's a mindset. It reminds me of the word when it talks um, about when Jesus headed towards Jerusalem. It's in Luke where it says, Jesus set his face, almost in Isaiah, it says, set his face like flint, set his face to go to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to go to the cross, knowing he was going to die. In a way, it's like that mindset. We have the mindset that we're going to follow the example of Jesus and we are going to be servants and we are going to love. I don't know about you, if I was to say to you, you have you heard sermons preached, listened to podcasts, heard talks and God, and you can look back and you say, oh, God really, really spoke to me then. You probably can. You may have one or two times when you believe God's really powerfully spoken to you and some of them will have slipped into the back of your mind. But I bet if I was to say, can you think of times when people have done something that has really impacted your life and made a difference? I think a lot of you could probably say, yes, I can. Because you know, God speaks powerfully for his, for his word. But God speaks powerfully through the way we live. I just think the the picture of Jesus just kneeling there in the dust must have stuck in the disciples' minds. The power of that picture, the power of that act of service. So what about us? I came into church this morning. Um, Been a bit of a week. And I came into church this morning, possibly not in the greatest mindset, but I came thinking, ah, it's been a tough week. I walked in to the room where we have Energize, and somebody had come in this morning and set it all up. It's beautiful. Somebody, servant, who had done something, changed me in an instant. Last week, after Energize had finished, love it, wonderful in there, but it's busy and it's frantic. And somebody just came up to me, Rebecca, I've got you a coffee. You looked a bit tired this morning. Changed my mindset. Because somebody just did something so little. And we all have that capacity to love and to serve. And it's the people that do that. It's when we do that that so often makes the difference. And in a world where so often we're fighting for greatness, 
then actually those things are the things that actually I believe when God takes hold of some of these things, actually really do change lives. So what about us? We're in church. We have opportunities to serve. So many opportunities across church to serve. Wouldn't it be great if all of us could just grasp that actually God wants us to serve. We don't have to be like each other. I am so glad that everybody isn't like me. Ted's not here tonight, so I can say that and he'll be like, yeah. Um, I'm glad everybody isn't. I'm glad that everybody's not like, I forgot to say, Graham, God, like everybody's not like looking at anybody at the back. I'm glad that we're different because that's what God made us. And I just think Jesus knew all this. He knew who he was and he got on his knees. If we could see who we are in Christ and be happy with that, knowing God has made us as we are, who we are, and we serve from that. It makes such a difference. Finding our place in church where God can just take what we are, can grow it and can change people's lives through us. It's beautiful. It's the church working together. Beautiful. And serving church. That's serving in the church, serving out in the community, serving with our neighbours. Serving one another. And all of it is about him. It was great at the beginning. Having the songs that say, we want to speak Jesus. And sometimes we do speak Jesus. And sometimes we have discussions and we're speaking about Jesus. The challenge tonight is, what about our lives? What about our lives of service? Where Jesus takes something that is so small, like making somebody a cup of coffee, but he uses it for a bigger purpose. Just want to, in, in kind of closing this bit of the service, I just want to just read a few verses from Matthew, very well known. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. This is Jesus speaking. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see all this? And Jesus says, the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters, you did it for me. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Because it's all, all about him. We're going to just come to a time of um, communion. And I just want us to remember that um, I just said to the band that we are moving on to communion because there's a little bit of a, a difference before, okay? Um, so easy, isn't it, to come to communion and we've got the bread, we've got the wine. But I want us just to focus for a minute on the fact that this is part of the Last Supper and Jesus was on his knees and then he got up, various things happened but then he led them, the disciples, into taking the bread and taking the wine. And the band is going to come up now. And 
as, as they come up, they're going to start playing. We're going to be singing the song that says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And as we sing through it, I'd like us just to just really think about the words that we've been talking about today. You know, we don't need to be proud in ourselves. We need to be so sure of who we are in Christ, who we are as people, that God can take who we are and use it for his purposes. When we look at Jesus and one of these verses, looking at his head, his hands, his feet, and we realize just how much he loved us, how he humbled himself, as it said in Philippians, to death on the cross. And the stewards are going to come out round and they're going to give these little communion pouches out to everybody. And I think we'll just remain seated and we're just going to sing through this song and then I'll lead us in communion when we come to the end of it. Thanks, Graham.
The last few words of that song just fit in so well, don't they? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Just before we just move into this, if you haven't used these little pouches before, you will just need to peel the top off to get to the bread in a moment and then further peel them off after that to get to the wine. I think quite a lot of us have practiced now. But just, again, the Last Supper. Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, to the disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's just eat together. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. I'm going to move now just into a time of worship. And as we do, let's just ask God to challenge our hearts again. Let's again focus on the cross. Let's again just focus on Jesus and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you did humble yourself. Thank you that you were obedient to even death on that cross. And let's just ask God again to just to awaken in our hearts that joy of saying, thank you for who you've made me. And from that knowledge of who you've made me, Lord, I just want to serve you. And let's ask God again, just to show us, just pinpoint those things we should maybe be doing, the acts of service we should be doing. 
whether there's things that we need to sort out with each other even here tonight so that we can move together wow it's exciting isn't it a church where we're together each in the right position each doing their part of God's amazing amazing big picture so let's just worship him